Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 to 20, actually 26, not 27, 11 to 26. Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 to 26. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me there, and let's all stand uh, to read God's word together this morning. Matthew 27, 11 to 26. <clears throat> Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to Jesus, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But Jesus gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast of the governor was a uh, now at the feast the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any prisoner whom they wanted, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, "Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called Christ?" For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor said again to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. Why don't you all pray with me one more time. Uh, God, I want to thank you again for your word this morning. We know that there's a lot of things that we listen to, that we read throughout our weeks, but we know that there's nothing more important than reading and meditating upon the living word of God, that is the truth that sets us free. So we ask and pray that you will do just that today. Speak to us very clearly, only the words that you desire to speak. May we be challenged, may we be convicted to grow into the likeness of Christ. We thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you guys are taking notes, the title of today's message is called, Jesus is Innocent, So What? Jesus is Innocent, So What? Uh, Throughout the history, there has been cases after cases of people being falsely accused despite their innocence. And as a result, they were sentenced to many years in prison. Uh, I just read a few online yesterday, and they say for some of them, it took them 20 years. They were sentenced to 20 years in prison for something that they haven't done. For some, it was 40 years. Falsely accused and sentenced to prison for 40 years for something that they were innocent. 
However, after much investigation, when they are finally cleared as innocent and not guilty, they are not only set free, but also they receive much in settlement due to what they have suffered, for some as much as a couple million dollars. Friends, how would you feel? I don't know about you guys, but regardless of how much money is on the table, millions, billions, I would hate to be falsely accused for something that I didn't do, and as a result, pay the penalty for it. However, as we come across the official trial of Jesus in front of the Roman governor in today's passage, we see a case of perhaps the greatest false accusation in the history of mankind. The worst, the greatest false accusation in the history of mankind. And unlike other cases and trials, we see one man, one person who is truly sinless, who is truly innocent, yet he receives the most gruesome, the most horrific penalty for something he didn't do. Scourging and crucifixion. Friends, how would you feel? You've done nothing wrong. As the Son of God and the Son of Man, as the Messiah, Jesus comes into this world to offer eternal salvation. Yet rather than treating with honor, rather than treating with respect, they were quick to strike him, to slap him, to spit on him, and to ultimately nail him to the cross. Just as today's title suggests, it's fascinating how everyone gathered in that courtroom or that courtyard knew that Jesus was innocent. From the Jewish leaders to the crowd to Pontius Pilate, even his own wife, who just had a dream, they were all aware that Jesus had done nothing wrong. They were all aware that Jesus was innocent. But that didn't stop them from having Jesus ultimately crucified. Because to them, what mattered the most was not regarding Jesus' innocence, not regarding having a proper trial, but more about having their own desires fulfilled, their goals achieved, and their wishes granted. For these people who were gathered in the courtyard that day, they could care less about if Jesus did something wrong. They could care less about if Jesus is truly innocent or not. They were all aware that Jesus did nothing wrong. But what mattered for them the most, above all things, was for their desires to be fulfilled, for their wishes to be granted, and for their goals to be achieved. So let's dive, into, dive in and take a look at each of these characters. First, the Jewish leaders. What was their issue with Jesus? What was their problem with Jesus? What did they want with Jesus? First, I believe their issue was covetousness, envy. Jealousy. For the Jewish religious leaders, they were blind to Jesus' innocence. They were looking over Jesus' innocence because they were too envious, too jealous of Jesus. We see this very clearly in the book of uh, in, uh, verse 18. As even the Roman governor Pontius Pilate himself was aware that the reason why they wanted to kill Jesus, the reason why they wanted to crucify Jesus was not because Jesus did something wrong, was not because Jesus was guilty, but was because they were envious of Jesus. If you recall throughout Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, the people constantly calls out again and again. No, Jesus constantly calls out again and again these religious leaders. 
What's funny is that Jesus chooses to hang out with sinners and offer grace to sinners, but these people who, call, who were called the Jewish religious leaders, religious leaders, were the very ones Jesus was calling out, were the very ones who Jesus calls as people who are offending the name of God. Because at least for sinners, they were well aware of their lostness. They were well aware of their desperate need for a, for a Savior. But for the Jewish religious leaders, they couldn't stand Jesus. Rather than recognizing that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Messiah, rather than recognizing that Jesus is the one that they should have been pointing others towards, all they wanted was to point and direct people to themselves. For them to be the Savior figure. For all the people to come and bow down to them and to ask them for help, not Jesus. So when they kept on, kept on getting called by Jesus for their blindness, for their pride, rather than repenting, realizing, and turning from their sins, they wanted to get rid of the only solution for their sin. Rather than killing their sin, they wanted to kill the only solution for their sin. This is the reason why they gathered together to plot to arrest Jesus and kill Jesus back in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 3 says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. And from the look of it, it seems as though they've won, right? They've got Jesus arrested. He is now delivered over to be scourged and crucified, nailed on the cross, and to be killed. Sure, they had to break a few rules here and there. They had to bribe Judas with some money. They had to, uh, even in today's passage in verse 20, persuade the people to want Barabbas instead of Jesus. But at the end of the day, they got what they wanted. Or did they? Friends, I believe envy and jealousy has a way of creeping up on you. Whether it, where it starts with something really small yet it could snowball into something so massive that you can't even control it. Envy and jealousy starts so small, yet the effects of it can be deadly. Whenever I come across these religious leaders, I can't help but to ask myself, where did it, go all wrong? Where did it all go wrong? Because you see, these Jewish religious leaders were supposed to be devout. They were supposed to be religious. They were supposed to be respected or respectable. And I'm sure they weren't thinking about how to be disobedient or how ungodly of a leader they could be when they first started off. I'm sure they all had good intentions. They wanted to be good leaders. They wanted to be good Jewish religious leaders. Whether they were serving as priests, scribes, or elders, I'm sure they wanted to obey God and they wanted to do their best. But maybe it was a little bit of jealousy here towards each other. Maybe it was a little bit of envy towards someone else. But as that began to pile on top of each other, it began to spread so deep within their hearts that the only way to get rid of, the only way they thought to get rid of the issue was not to repent of their envious hearts, but rather to get rid of the one who they were envious towards. And due to their envy, due to their covetousness, they've become blind not only to Jesus' innocence, but the fact that Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. 
The Son of God who has come to save sinners desperately in need of a Savior just like them. For them, because of their envy, because of their covetousness, they were blind not only to Jesus' innocence, but also their own guilt, their own sin. Friends, do you struggle with envy? Do you you struggle with jealousy, covetousness? Maybe the reason why we struggle is because we are so focused on ourselves. Let me say this. The reason why we struggle with envy, the reason why we struggle with jealousy is because we're so focused on ourselves. I don't have as much as him. I deserve better. I need what they have. I can't stand others being more happy and more successful than I am. Right? It's all about me, me, me. The reason why the Jewish leaders were unable to see the innocence of Jesus was because they were so fixated on themselves. The reason why the Jewish leaders were unable to see even their own sin was because they were so fixated on themselves. And as their envy began to blind their hearts from seeing Jesus, they not only falsely accused Jesus, but even persuaded others. Even persuaded others to turn their hearts and to turn their backs against Jesus. May we pray and ask God to cleanse us from all covetousness. For some of us, maybe it's something really small. Maybe we're not as financially comfortable as the people sitting next to us. Maybe we're not as, maybe we don't have as a stable family as the people around us. And it doesn't hurt much to ask for a better situation or a better circumstance in life, right? That's how we think. We think, oh, I just want what they have, just a little bit of it. But friends, maybe I remind you just even the smallest ounce of envy and covetousness can blossom into deadly consequences. And I pray that we will learn to ask God to cleanse us from that so that we can see Jesus for who he is and see the world the way God wants us to see. So first, for the Jewish leaders, it was their envy, it was their covetousness that hindered them from seeing the innocence of Jesus. But for the crowd, it was their shallowness. It was their fickle hearts that prevented them from seeing Jesus' innocence. So second, shallowness. Shallowness. Now, whenever the word crowd, whenever the people crowd is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, it's usually referred in the negative. If you're part of the crowd, usually Jesus is calling them out for some things that they're doing wrong. And in today's passage, it's no different. As Pontius Pilate The Roman governor tries to hold a proper trial. We see that the crowd wouldn't let him. Because they were too busy shouting. Too busy shouting from the top of their lungs to crucify and to kill Jesus. The reason why I say the crowd is shallow is because of how fickle they are. Or how quick they are in changing their opinion or changing their view about something. If you recall, throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see the disciples, and then right next to the disciples, we see this giant crowd following Jesus wherever he goes. They would follow Jesus around practically everywhere. They would be amazed and wowed by everything Jesus had to offer. Jesus heals the sick. Wow, amazing. Jesus casts out demons. Amazing, incredible. 
Jesus teaches in the temple. Wow, that's so profound. But despite all that they've seen, despite all that they've heard, there is hardly any mention of any of the people in the crowd actually coming to faith. The reason for this is because they weren't following Jesus because they were hungry for a Savior. They were simply following Jesus because he was trending. Let me say this again. The crowd wasn't interested in what Jesus had to offer. The crowd was simply interested in the show itself. They just wanted to be entertained and nothing more. And we see a clear case of that in today's passage. Up until this point, following Jesus around was the cool thing to do. Everyone was doing it. Wherever he went, more and more, there were followers of Jesus. A bigger crowd. A larger crowd. He was entertaining. He was profound. He even fed them for free when they got hungry. However, Jesus is now bound despite his innocence. And when Pilate offers them a choice between Jesus and Barabbas... They were quick to hop off the bandwagon of Jesus to ride with Barabbas. So who is this guy? Who is this guy, Barabbas? Who exactly is Barabbas? While the Matthew doesn't mention much about this character named Barabbas, we see that he was a notorious prisoner. We can also learn from the gospel writers like, the, uh, like Mark that he was thrown into prison for committing murder in the insurrection. So to the Romans, he was Romans most wanted. But to the Jews, he was, a, he was a patriot. So they liked him, actually. They loved him. Mark chapter 15, verse 7 says, Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So with some persuasion from the Jewish leaders, it made sense for the crowd to choose Barabbas, who was a murderer, over Jesus, who was innocent. What's fascinating is how Barabbas was also known as Jesus Barabbas. I don't know if that was like a first name, last name, but Jesus was a very common name back in the day. That's why they would always say Jesus of Nazareth. So there's Jesus of Nazareth versus Jesus Barabbas. Not only that, the name Barabbas is, uh, it means son of a father. Bar means son, and Abba means father. Fathers, a son of a father. So we got Jesus Barabbas, son of a father, versus Jesus, the Na- Jesus of Nazareth, son of the father himself. Coincidence? I don't think so. Due to the shallowness of the crowd, they were blind to see Jesus' innocence, and they were blind by choosing the wrong Jesus. Because to them, it didn't matter who the opponent was, who the other choice was, because for them, they wanted a different Jesus. They wanted any other Jesus but this guy who's about to die, who's not trending anymore, who's not popular anymore. They wanted a Jesus that gave them whatever they wanted. They wanted a Jesus who would obey their commands, not the other way around. They wanted a Jesus, even if he's a notorious murderer, as long as he was popular. I don't know about you guys, but when I was in college, it was actually cool to go to church. I don't know if that's actually a thing nowadays. I heard nowadays less than 3% of college students attend church on a regular basis. Less than 3%. Some of you guys might have to even fight off peer pressure to come to church on Sundays. 
because maybe your roommates or your, your friends might say, well, why would you wake up early in the morning on a Sunday morning, especially when there's football later on, to go to church? Such a waste of time, isn't it? Friends, how do we battle shallowness? Perhaps we too struggle with this idea of having to follow and worship the Jesus of the Bible because some of the things that he says in the Bible we don't agree with or we don't want to agree with. Only if that section of the Bible is taken out, then I'm all in. I'm, I'm good with Jesus. But why is it that Jesus has to include that sin that I struggle with the most? Only if Jesus didn't ask us to do this and that. Only if Jesus didn't require us of too much. We want to pick and choose our own version of Jesus, don't we? For some of us, perhaps we grew up in church all our lives and we think we know all there is to know about Jesus in the Bible. So we follow him only until we find the next best thing. Only until we find what seems to be the better Jesus, the better version of Jesus, Jesus 2.0. So for some of our hearts, so for some of us, our hearts are so prone to wander and so fickle as we struggle with this spiritual, dare I say, spiritual ADHD, Jesus is not enough. We get that Jesus is good, he saved us, that's great and all, but we want more. We want a Jesus who can make us rich. We want a Jesus who can help us with our studies to get better grades. We want a Jesus who's going to line up for us all these internships and jobs in the future. We want a Jesus who's going to get us the most perfect future spouse. Have we ever felt that way before? Friends, just like the Jewish religious leaders, I don't think the crowd were, was, was born this day, uh, born this way. I, I don't think the people in the crowd woke up that day and said, today, I'm going to crucify Jesus. I don't think they were shallow from the beginning. I think the same goes for us. Perhaps the reason why we struggle with shallowness, perhaps the reason why we struggle with such a fickle heart is because we're not deeply rooted in anything. Maybe we just want to test the waters and see what floats our boat. And it's, if it seems as though it requires too much commitment, too much time, too much effort, then we move on to the next best thing. We want maximum pleasure with minimum effort. Maximum reward with minimum commitment. And I don't think the world that we're living in today is helping us very much, right? With the news and social media always encouraging us to pursue the next best thing, to be in with what's trending and not get caught behind. But the more we try to live that life, maybe some of you guys are living that life right now, the more we try to live that life, the more lost we feel, the more suffocating it is. It's like that Netflix series, like Black Mirror, right? You're living a fake life and you're miserable behind that mask. Because we are constantly withering away by the different waves, constantly being struck by different challenges this world throws, us, throws at us, and we got nothing to be rooted in. And I believe the solution for all this is not to jump on a new bandwagon, not to jump ship and find the next best thing, or search for a new Jesus figure but to be firmly and deeply rooted in the truth. 
Because, friends, truth never withers. Truth never falters. Truth never fades. Rather than being shallow, may we be steadfast to the one who is faithful to us. Rather than looking for anything else but Jesus, let's cling to Jesus and Jesus alone. For the scripture reminds us that he is the only way to eternal life. Not fame, not finances, not your family. Jesus Christ. For the Jewish leaders, it was their envy. For the crowd, it was their fickle hearts. But lastly, for Pontius Pilate, it was his cowardice that neglected Jesus' innocence. So last point number three, Pontius Pilate, he was a coward. He was a coward. At a glance, it appears as though compared to the Jewish religious leaders and compared to the crowd, Pontius Pilate seemed pretty innocent. He even washed his hands and said, I'm innocent. You guys wanted to kill him, so you do it. But I'm good. I'm innocent. In fact, he self-proclaims his innocence and that he's, and that he's got nothing to do with Jesus' crucifixion. And he washes his hands, right? He says, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. Meaning, you guys do what you want with him because he's none of my business. Some historians go as far as to say that Pontius Pilate was innocent. Pontius Pilate, they call him, they even label him as a saint. Saint Pontius Pilate because he's done nothing wrong. But I'd beg to differ. And if I can argue, he had just as much wrong, he is just as much guilty, if not the most, out of the Jewish leaders and the crowd in crucifying the innocent Jesus. He's the worst one. For Pontius Pilate, it was his job. It was his job, it was his responsibility to judge honestly and justly as the Roman governor. But due to, the, due to his cowardice personality, in not wanting to lose face, in not wanting to lower his reputation, he officially tried Jesus and delivered him over to be scourged and crucified. Out of all the people in that room to that day, Pilate had the power. Pontius Pilate had the authority to overrule the Jewish leaders and the crowd and say, this man is innocent, we need to set him free. Not only that, he knew that Jesus was innocent. Even when Jesus remained silent despite his false accusation, Pilate was amazed. Man, this dude, they're saying all this crap about you and you are silent. That's crazy. And what makes matters worse is God spoke to his very own wife in a dream, revealing to him that Jesus was innocent. Now, maybe he didn't want to listen to the Jewish leaders. Maybe he didn't want to listen to the crowd, but you have to listen to your wife, right? It's biblical. But in the end, he was no match for the Jewish leaders. He was no match for the crowd. I guess you can say he was more of a people pleaser as he acted cowardly rather than justly. For Pilate saving face, Saving his reputation, what others thought about him, was so much more important than justice, than truth, than even a life. For Pilate, saving face and his reputation was more important than killing an innocent man. It was more important than even listening to his own wife. It was so obvious that Jesus was innocent. The Jewish leaders knew it, the crowd knew it. His wife knew it, 
And we see in verse 18 that Pilate knew of it as well. Not only that, Pilate was well aware of the evil intentions of the Jewish leaders. That they wanted to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus because they were envious of him. Not because, they were, not because Jesus did something wrong. But despite all that, Pilate looked away. Despite all the proof, Pilate looked away. He neglected his responsibility. He neglected the innocent so that he can gain the approval of man. Friends, what's more important to you? The approval of man or the approval of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ? Just an honest confession. I used to struggle with this a lot growing up, uh, where my desire... Uh, I had this strong desire in wanting to be accepted by people, my desire to be liked and well-received by others. And oftentimes I catch myself because that would far outweigh how God views me. I knew that God loved me. I knew that he didn't need me to do anything for him, to be loved by him, because his love for me is unconditional. Yet at times I would neglect his unchanging approval that I can go seek after the approval of men. But I began to realize that it always left me feeling empty. The more I would pursue the approval of men, even if they would say nice, nice things to me, the more I would feel empty. Because at the end of the day, what matters most is not what others think about you. What matters most is not how others view you, but how God views you. Apart from the gospel, I would always think that I'm, I'm unlovable, unlikable, like weird, socially awkward, a loser, right? What, but what got, me was every, what got me was how every time I would hear a sermon or read a Bible, read the Bible or sing songs during Sunday service, God, what God would remind me for the millionth time, for the billionth time that in His eyes, I am lovable. Then in His eyes, I am Worth dying for. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus did for us here in today's passage, isn't it? Despite the covetousness, despite the shallowness, despite the cowardice, Jesus remains silent. Because Jesus was well aware that it had to be the cross. It was at the cross and through the cross that he would display his loving kindness to sinners like us. Which leads us to the last point, loving kindness. Friends, Jesus wasn't crucified because of the Jewish leader's envy. Jesus was not crucified because of the crowd's fickle hearts. Jesus was not crucified because of Pilate's fear of man. Jesus went to the cross and he had to die because of his loving kindness. God gave us his son to the cross because of his love for sinners like us because of his love for sinners like you, because of his love for sinners like me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 said, but God shows his love for us, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, this is the good news. This is the gospel message that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The guilty Barabbas was released in place of the innocent Jesus to symbolize theologically 
picture of the gospel. The picture of the beautiful, the great, the unfair exchange. How God's judgment for sinners fell on Jesus, while God's love for Jesus fell on sinners. Some say that the cross was made for for Barabbas in mind. The cross that Jesus was crucified in was made for Barabbas. For all the things that he has done, but for Jesus was the one who took his place on his behalf so that he can be set free. And I believe the same goes for us. Jesus received what we should have received. Scourging, crucifixion, and death. And in return, he not only forgives us of our sins, we receive what we don't deserve. Grace. Mercy, loving kindness. Even when everyone was shouting, crucify him, crucify him, Jesus remained silent, not because he was at a loss for words, but because he knew that the cross was the only way. To save the very sinners that were nailing him to the cross, he had to remain on the cross. Even when the Roman guards were scourging him, meaning tying him up to a post, and repeatedly whipping him and beating him with nails, they were embedded to the whip. Tearing his skin, his tendons, and his muscles, Jesus didn't fight back because he was too weak. Jesus didn't fight back because he was lost, losing too much blood. Jesus didn't fight back because he had to remain on that post. He had to be whipped, he had to be scourged, and he had to die to save us and to rescue us. So going back to that, title, Jesus is innocent, so what? What's Jesus' innocence got to do with us? I say it's got everything to do with us. Jesus was fully innocent, yet he was falsely accused. He was despised, rejected, slapped, afflicted, pierced, crushed, oppressed, and ultimately crucified. Why? Because it is the only way. It is only through the cross And through his blood and his sacrifice, that we have a chance in life. If it wasn't for Jesus, we just got to pack home and get ready to die because you have no hope in life. doesn't matter how powerful you are, how successful you are, how much money you have, how popular you are. Zero hope. This is all you got. But it's because of the cross and what Jesus has done for us, we have hope. Not only, not only of this earth, but hope eternal. Friends, this is the good news. This is the gospel message. And I pray that we will meditate upon this truth each and every day of our lives. For some of us, we get so busy with life, right? Work, school, family, extracurricular activities, TV, social media. Where's Jesus on that list? He's not even on there. I pray that we will learn to make him the ultimate of our lives. For many of us who are attending college, you get four years, perhaps the four most important years of your life, and how you choose to use those four years, I think will have eternal consequences, both positive or negative. And looking back, even in my college years, I'm so thankful that at times some of the older brothers and sisters dragged me out of my bed to go to church because it was at church where I was reminded yet again that 
There's nothing else. There's nothing better than investing my life in eternal life. I pray that our church will be a church that is invested in the life after, not only in this year, not only in having the most amount of fun here on earth, but eternal life. I don't know how many years you guys want to live here on earth, maybe 80 years. That's a lot, right? 70 years, 90 years. That's a fraction compared to the eternal life that awaits. Do you want to waste it away here so you can suffer for eternity, or do you want to invest now as you look to being with Jesus for eternity? In order for us to do that, I believe we need to overcome and fight our envious hearts. We need to fight this struggle, this temptation to be shallow. We need to fight and overcome just our cowardice hearts and be bold in running after Jesus and pursuing and in following Jesus all the days of our life. I pray that we will be encouraged. Not only that, we'll be encouraging each other to keep fighting and keep running closer to Jesus. Let's pray together.